The global spread of coronavirus shows no sign of stopping. New cases crop up every day and health organizations around the world are trying to keep up with containment as well as understanding of the disease. But are we at a point where people should panic? I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. David Staples from the Edmonton Journal joins us to talk about what effect an outbreak can have on people's mindsets, what they can do to be vigilant, and why it's important to listen to the experts. Don't forget, listen to this expert when I tell you that we can be found on all your favorite listening platforms, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd love it if you'd also leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So David, the outbreak of, I guess, what's basically known as novel coronavirus or coronavirus, or people are calling it COVID-19 to categorize this specific illness has been dominating headlines around the world for the first two months of 2020. Where are things at? What's the latest that we have uh, from the World Health Organization, the government of Canada? What's the situation on the ground? Things are changing fast. And there was big news today from the World Health Organization. For the last uh, month, I've been reading that the death rate is about 2% Mm -hmm. for this, uh, for coronavirus. Today, they came out and they said it was slightly above 3%. So that's significant. You know, 2% is a little more than double what the flu is. The flu is usually less than 1%. Isn't it zero point? I've read 0.1 to 0.3, like really. So if it's 3%, so let's say the flu is Mm 0.1 and this is three. Yeah. That's 30 times greater. This is significantly different than than the flu. And that's why people are so worried about that. That's why we're also worried about it. Yeah, I was reading in the Washington Post that the the conversation around the death rate is still, it's murky, even though it yes. is the, the, the biggest health organization in the world. They talk about, because it's so early days still, even though two months seems like a lifetime in this debate and this discussion around this this virus, that it is still, there could be a bunch of undetected cases that we won't know for quite a while, like what the actual death rate is. But right now the World Health Organization is saying 3.4%, which is many times higher than your average flu, seasonal flu outbreak. It's gotten to the point now where the prime minister is actually taking some more concrete action to at least give the perception that we're dealing with it. What was the prime minister announcing on Wednesday? He's formed a special group uh, within his government to kind of head this up. Something that the Americans did last week when mm-hmm. Pence was appointed. And yeah. so he's kind of following that. Um, it's interest. Canada's response has been interesting. You know, um, they haven't, I don't believe we've put in any travel bans like the United States has done. They mm-hmm. did early on. Taiwan, who is being given credit right now for um, such a low rate of infection in Asia. In in late December, December 31st, I was reading today, they put in a travel ban from China. Hmm. They were right on top of it and they're giving a lot of credit. That said, experts are divided on whether these travel bans are going to work in the long run. There was a Harvard epidemiologist um, who got my attention uh, a couple of weeks ago. And this was when there was still kind of a hope, at least from, from me, I think, and other lay people looking at this, that this would be contained in China perhaps. But he said at that time that 40 to 70% of us are going to get coronavirus within the next year. This seemed to be a, a leading expert. So I put a lot of stock in that. And, and it, it was then that it hit home, like, this is going to be real. It's going to hit all of us. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to deal with this. We're going to have to figure this out. It's not going to be something that happens to another country. It's going to happen here in Canada. So I'm not sure, you know, I have been 
wondering why the Trudeau government hasn't put in travel bans um, from countries that, with high infection rates. But it just seems like if we're rational and realistic about it, that that's not going to have a big impact in the long run. That maybe in the short run, it will stop infections. And maybe that's important, but mm-hmm. um, not a long-term impact. This is going to spread. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you look at Canada so far, I, I believe we're at 30 cases total. We've had no deaths. And you mentioned the United States putting in travel bans. They're seeing deaths. They're seeing like pockets of outbreaks of cases. So there there may not be a, a simple solution to to stopping the outbreak, um, which leads in some ways to, to a, you know, a sense of dread or a sense of fear among the general population. Where does that come from with something like this? I mean, we are talking about something that you know, presents as a cold, it can have s- severe health impacts and can, ca- can cause death in, in susceptible populations. But where does this kind of grave sense of fear come from, do you think? Well, I, I think it comes from the numbers that the reputable, serious organizations like the WHO are putting out. You know, for them to say that today, that it's at 3.4%, mm-hmm. that's a big move from 2%. That's, uh, th- you know, so this is, the, these are the people who understand this the best, and they're saying this. So when they say that, and then we hear epidemiologists from Harvard and other places say, you know, that half of us are going to get this or whatever it's going to be, that's a lot of deaths in the world. Yeah. So I think this just hits home in a real personal way. I yeah. mean, I think all of us, um, myself included, just have to think, I'm I'm going to either I'm going to get this or someone in my family is likely to get this and how, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. How are we going to react? So you have to start to really think hard with what the but what the health experts are saying. Yeah. And um you know start taking action, personal action. So it just it's the most basic it's kind of the most basic story that we've had because it just hits all of us at, at such a personal level. You are going to face this, Dave. I'm going to face this. Our families are going to face this. Our elderly parents are going to face this. Mm-hmm. And it's alarming in that way. I don't get sick though. So, but I mean, like you and I are sitting here in Edmonton, Alberta, and so far Alberta has no presumed or confirmed cases. We seem to be in a bit of a a bubble, but that hasn't stopped people from turning around and saying, oh my gosh, you know, I need to stock up on supplies in case I'm stuck in my house. Like, where is the balance, do you think? Or, Or are people saying you need to find a balance between like legitimate concerns about what could be a, a, eventually declared a pandemic because I don't think we've declared it a pandemic yet or the World Health Organization hasn't declared it a global pandemic yet. So the legitimate concern about something that could be a global pandemic and avoiding panic. So this was my question because I'm just a layman. I don't have answers. I'm not, <laughs> I don't know anything about this. <laughs> so I went to a couple <laughs> experts who knew about risk assessment and yeah. about um, how to deal with health information. Tim Caulfield from the U of A, who's a real expert on dealing into uh, pseudoscience and kind of exposing it. Mm-hmm. And Dan Gardner of Ottawa, who's been a newspaper columnist for Post Media in the past mm-hmm. and, has, and, has, and has written books on risk assessment. And, you know, their message was, there's not a better place, Dan Gardner said, there's not a better place in the world to be for this than Canada. And why is that? We've got a strong public health system. Mm-hmm. We've got strong governance. Mm-hmm. We have high trust in our, in our systems. We've got a competent bureaucracy you know, we like to, we like to crap all over we don't, them. Yeah. We like to cry, I do, we all do. And sometimes they have it coming. But his position is that that we are well-placed because we've got highly competent people who know what the heck they're doing. Mm-hmm. And if we listen to them, if we listen to them, we'll be okay. His worry, one of his worries is, Gardner's worries is that there's going to be the, because um, 
we know there's risk groups, which are the elderly and people who are frail and have exist pre-existing health conditions. Yeah. But there's going to be outliers. There's going to be that 35-year-old woman, completely healthy, mother of three, mother of two, who's going to die from this. Mm -hmm. And that he's worried about our reaction when that happens, because that could lead to um, people starting to mistrust authorities. But, you know, their real message is, we. this is a time... We've got to listen to the experts and we have to do kind of a, in our own lives, kind of a cost benefit analysis. So, you know, what, what is the, the you know, the health minister, federal health minister was, Hajdu was telling us a, um, a couple weeks ago, like go buy two weeks worth of groceries. Mm -hmm. How much does that cost us? It doesn't cost us anything because, you know, you need those groceries eventually anyway. Yeah. So do those things. I mean, the, the one thing I hear again and again from authorities is wash your hands in a serious <laughs> fashion. This is going to do more, like for people who are advocating hand washing, this is going to do more for that than anything that's ever happened in the history, modern history. We're all going to be seriously washing our hands in a way that we've yeah. never done before, I think. Do you think we're in a position where, you know, Canada learned lessons from the SARS outbreak 17 years ago that, you know, we've, we are more vigilant now about the potential for an outbreak like this because, you know, SARS hit us pretty hard back uh, in 2003. I don't believe that's the case. And Dan Gardner, who has written a book about risk assessment said that, that he didn't think that that was the case, that we're not, we're not ready for one of these low probability in any given year, major outbreaks. Mm -hmm. We're just, we, we, we don't prepare well, for that, he, his optimism is just based on the general vigor of our system. What he says is after this, we're going to be a lot more ready for the next one. Because these things are going to happen, even if there's only like a 1% chance that it happens every year, yeah. he said. You start adding that up over 100 years, you're going to get these things. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll be. this is going to be a huge learning lesson for us all. And we're going to learn uh, a lot in terms of both our own personal behavior and also systems behavior, processes behavior about how to deal with this kind of thing. Maybe we'll learn that that putting in an uh, air travel ban right away is the right thing to do. Or maybe we will learn that, that that didn't make any difference in any of the countries in the long run that did it. That's that kind of thing mm -hmm. we're going to start to see. You talk earlier about the idea that, you know, if, we, if you get a case that's kind of the outlier from the average infection, that people may start to mistrust authorities. There is currently a group or many different groups, smaller groups that already don't trust medicine. They don't trust the scientific community. There's concerns about big pharma or, you know, vaccines that cause autism. All of there's these, these groups who have an innate mistrust of the health system. And when you're dealing with the idea that we need to listen to health officials on hand-washing, on self-isolation, on proper ways of managing this. How do you combat some of this skepticism that already exists? <laughs> well, that's a really good question. I mean, Tim Caulfield had a funny story. Um, he was talking to a doctor and the doctor said, there was this person who came in and they were just desperate like to try this remedy for the coronavirus or try to, is there a vaccine yet? Is there a vaccine? But the, yet this same person wouldn't get a flu shot because they don't trust the flu vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, this might be a, a case of people really learning the hard way. Like mm -hmm. if you're not listening to the medical authorities and you're doing your own thing, like that could be a really, you, you know, there might be higher death rates in certain populations of people. Like if, if you're not trusting medical research and not doing what the authorities say, 
that could that could lead to tragedy here. So, or in the event that a vaccine gets developed, yeah, and people so don't want to take it, and we'll see how know. we'll see how strong the anti-vax movement is at that time, Dave. I mean, it'll be a test of that. But I think we might see a lot of anti-vaxxers suddenly realizing, hmm, maybe I will get that vaccination after all, because it'll be right in their face in a way that the kind of herd immunity that we've that we've built up. Um, for various diseases, and they're protected from those diseases because the rest of us get vaccinated. Yeah. It's going to be in their face, and 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 maybe that will be uh, this. Maybe this could be a real blow to the anti-vax movement uh, if if a vaccine is developed and uh, is is successful. Have you stocked up? Have you have you taken the time? <laughs> have you hit the you know the Costco or the superstore to to stock up on your supplies? Well, in our family, it's my wife who's got the the you know the forward thinking vision <laughs> to do that kind of thing. So yes, we have. Uh, we bought, like a lot of people, we've bought toilet paper. Mm -hmm. I actually did go buy a lot of medication because I've been fighting a cold for the last month Yeah, have, and I've had a bad cough. Um, I wanted to get, I want to build up my own system. I want to get over this cold. So, you know, I've been buying tons of sinus medication for now and in the future because like my understanding, my limited, very limited, and you should just <laughs> discount what I'm about to say, but my understanding is this is a problem with lungs. Like you got to take care of your lungs here. So like, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, well, I got to like, whatever I can do to, to stop mucus production, my lungs, I'm going to have ready when I get the coronavirus. So I've been buying sinus medication and, and, and I've never bought san hand sanitizer in my life, mm -hmm. but I, I was going around to stores yesterday looking for it. And a lot of them were out. Yeah. But I did find one and I bought a ton of bought a ton of it for myself and my family. So yeah, I am I am getting ready. And that's what the government is advising all of us to do. So this isn't crazy stuff. This yeah. is just normal preparation at this point. How are we supposed to manage the uncertainty of everything? You know, we have changing numbers around the fatality rate as more cases get reported and then they can kind of do a, a rough tally of how things go and and even you know how fast or slow it might transmit like how how are we supposed to manage some of that information it's very difficult because the health experts themselves are trying to get their heads around this initially we heard that this seems like kind of uniquely fast in being able to transmit from other people uh to other people i should say and now the who uh today is reporting that it's transmits less quickly than the flu. Mm -hmm. So it seems like even the people who are most expert are grappling with this and trying to understand the nature of this disease, how it transmits, how quickly it transmits, and they don't have all the answers right now. For me, I just go back to the basics. Like mm -hmm. what are they, what are they, like whatever the case is, I don't want to get this. So what can I do to avoid it? And I'm going to be washing my hands way more than I usually do. Mm -hmm. And I have hand sanitizer right now in my pocket, which I'm going to start carrying around, which I'm going to encourage my kids to take to school. Yeah. And when there's things like they shut down the schools, if they shut down the schools, I'm going to try not to have a knee-jerk reaction to that and like be, <laughs> be accepting of what the public health authorities, like normally I'd think like, yeah, geez, you know, just, you know, go to school kids. Like, yeah. you know. Just, but the reason the kids don't go to school isn't necessarily to protect kids. It's because they can pick it up. They have no symptoms, but they will spread it to people who are more vulnerable. Yeah. That's the whole idea. It's not to protect the kids. It's to protect other people. And as a matter of fact, the face masks, you know, people, I've always wondered, like, why do people wear these face masks? You know, it seems a little bit, just a little bit like, are you... What, yeah. what message are you sending out to the world? <laughs> but the, but what I what I've heard is it's actually a thing where when you're sick you wear it so you don't make other people, people sick. sick. It's an act, yeah. act of great courtesy. So I think we all need to kind of put aside our kind of knee jerk reactions to the world. Mm -hmm. 
understand how little we know, understand that the health authorities are grappling with it, but they're the best people to do, to do this and we need to listen carefully to them. And when they give us basic, decent advice, good advice, don't send your kid to school, uh, accept that and wash your hands all the time, do it. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Just get, you know, have a little, we got to have a little trust here. Yeah. Hope that they're right because we don't have the answers ourselves. Well, I mean, everyone needs a reminder every now and then, wash your hands, folks. <laughs> Yes. I guess, you know, it's it's definitely, it's a story that will continue to dominate headlines through 2020. And I, I you know, we hope that it doesn't get to uh, a panic uh, situation. We hope that, you know, health officials are able to manage it and contain it as best they can. But we'll be keeping an eye on it as it goes. David, thanks for your time. Thanks, Dave. 103 is produced by Carson Jarama, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, David Staples. More from him at edmontonjournal.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.